Good morning, everyone. I'm excited to start this new mini-series on how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible. We're actually going to change the title to How to Hear God's Word, and you'll find out why in a moment. But what we want to be able to do in this series is really delve into how to hear God through His Word. You know, it's the central way that we know who God is and what His will is. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness or right relationship. And so we can have amazing experiences with God. We can have meaningful conversations, spiritual conversations with others, and these are fantastic. But the only source that is authoritative in knowing about God is His Word. And so we really want to take some time to delve into knowing how to hear God well through His Word. Uh, this is going to be one of those series that is a bit... Um, content heavy is <clears throat> almost going to be more like a lecture than a sermon. But I think this is going to be fun. It's going to be an opportunity for us to kind of put on our, our thinking caps and really uh, delve into how to read God's Word well. What we're going to be talking about today is listening levels. <clears throat> we're going to say that there's four levels in which to hear anybody. <clears throat> uh, if you... Uh, want to have a conversation with anybody and understand anyone, there's kind of four levels of listening. Well, what we want to do with those four levels is apply them to God's Word and to say that really what's going on when we read the Bible is we're learning how to listen well. It's not about, you know, complicated um, techniques and really at the end of the day, it's learning how to be a good listener. And I just love uh, the idea that we would approach God's Word in that way. Not technically, but personally. So, difficulties in understanding the Bible are not about intelligence or even training, although training can be helpful. <clears throat> you know, some people say, well, I'm just not very smart, and so I find it difficult to read the Bible. I just, um, I'm not much of a reader, and uh, some of the concepts are complicated to me. Or, I think I need more training, and if I just went to Bible school, then I would be able to read the Bible. Well, really, the primary obstacle or struggle in, um, in Bible reading is what we've already said, that it's really about learning to listen well. And so, uh, 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 unless we you know, approach the Bible that way, <clears throat> we're probably always going to feel just a little bit, little bit intimidated that we need to be a little bit smarter or a little bit uh, better trained or we'll never really enjoy reading God's Word. Well, I hope to convince you otherwise during this series. So what's these four levels then of listening? Well, the first, is almost, the first level is almost not listening and it's being uninterested. That what we do is we don't put in the time or the energy to know God. Somebody who isn't interested in another person doesn't put any energy into getting to know them. So if you're on the bus and you don't want to get to know somebody, you're not going to listen to them. You're not going to ask them a question or try to understand them. You're not interested in it. And so that's going to dramatically inhibit your ability to know them because you're not even listening to them or, or you know, striking up a conversation. Well, the same can be true with God. That if we're really uninterested, we're really not going to be very good listeners. 
And what this means is that we're neither curious nor humble. Um, sometimes you want to, the, the first level of getting to know God is we're just curious about what he thinks and, and uh, how he behaves. Curiosity is a very helpful thing. Even more so is humility, that we realize that, wow, in order for us to, to, um, to live well now and to have a good afterlife is, is we've got to be humble and recognize our need for God. And so if we're not humble, if we're not curious, we just really don't get around to reading his Bible. Um, and if we do, it's kind of being dutiful at best, where we'll just kind of read it out of obligation because it's what Christians do, but we're largely uninterested. What this is rooted in, really, is uh, Romans 1.18 describes behind all of that is really a heart that is independent, and get this, wicked. It says people suppress the truth by their wickedness. That we really, we know that God's truth exists. We can even see it in creation. Um, we know for sure that it's in God's word. But when we're proud and independent, we don't really want to put in the time to hear what God says because maybe we're even afraid of what it might say to us. So the first level of listening is to be uninterested and to, uh, to kind of distance ourselves. The second level of listening is a self-serving form of listening. And uh, this kind of Bible reading is we look for what interests us. And so we, we go through the Bible and, and we look at, um, you know, we look in the... Uh, in the Minor Prophets, it's called, and, you know, Zephaniah, I mean, what is, you know, what is he going to tell us about God? And that's just really tricky, and uh, I don't even really know what he's talking about. And so I, I, I'm going to skip that part, and I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to go to Ephesians. I like Ephesians, you know, or I like Romans. It, those are easier to understand. And so what we do is we choose the parts of the Bible that we enjoy the most, and we focus mostly on what we feel or think about it. So it's not so much what God's saying. I mean, we listen for the content, but it's mostly about how we feel about it. And so we read in Ephesians and, and that we're, you know, we're predestined. We go, oh, that's great. God's taking care of me. Oh, and so we're, we barely are listening. We're mostly just listening to have a feeling. Or it's like, oh, yeah, I love thinking about, okay, that's really comforting for me. And we quickly leave behind him and go into our world and what we think and feel about it. It's a very limited form of listening. It's almost like, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've talked with people or maybe you're like this. I can be like this. But... Um, that where we, have you ever met somebody where they mostly are listening to talk again? So they'll, they'll say, you know, how was your day? <clears throat> and so they'll listen for as shortly as they can because they really just want to tell you about their day. Or what do you think about this topic? But what they really want to do is tell you what they think about the topic. And so it's barely listening and mostly about what interests them and what they think and feel about things. And so it's a very uh, a small view of listening. Uh, 
when we read the Bible, and here's a key word, when we read the Bible non-relationally, we struggle to respect God or even the language and culture of biblical times. So we go, God, you know, you're just too difficult to understand. So I'm not really going to read the Bible to understand you much. I mean, I want to understand you a little, don't get me wrong, but I'm mostly going to get to know you in the ways that benefit me personally. And I know that you wrote the Bible to other people first. I love this phrase, the Bible was written written for us, but not to us. That's a very powerful way of thinking. So, yeah, I know that you wrote it to, you know, the Israelites and to the early church, and you used the Apostle Paul to write, and I know that he came from a different culture than me, but I don't know. All that stuff is so difficult, and I think it's going to be a lot of work. You know what? I'm just really not going to think about that, and I'm just going to kind of hunt and peck for verses that mean something to me, and then I'll just uh, feel good about that. So that's the second form of listening. Uh, This is talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. It says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So there is a form of listening, but it's a very self-serving kind of listening. We want to be able to move beyond that, don't we? So what's the third level of listening? Well, this is where it gets much better. And it's listening with, the, with love. With, we, ha, uh, we have a loving motivation in our listening. God did not give us the Bible to teach us interesting facts, to prove himself, see, I really am God, or even offer advice. He wants us to know him and better engage in a love relationship with him and others. The motive of God for writing the Bible which means that the motive for us being able to read the Bible well is love. He wants us to know him and have a love relationship with him. So he gave us his word to help us know him. So it's not just about tips and tricks for life. It's not proving that he exists. Um, It's not just historical facts, although it's helpful to know the context, which we'll get into more in in the coming weeks. But it's really to say, Father, I want to know you. I want to understand you. Um, I want a relationship with you. And how can I have a relationship with someone that I don't even know? And so this really is the primary motivation for Bible reading. It's It's what's talked about in Matthew chapter 22. It's the whole sum of the Bible, the sum of the law and the prophets, as as Jesus says, uh, because the New Testament obviously wasn't written uh, when he spoke. But the whole sum of all that God is saying is to love God and to love your neighbor. And so this becomes actually a a helpful thing to to know whether you understand what scholars call the intended meaning, what the the Bible is trying to say to us, what what God intends to speak. We know that we're getting closer to understanding the intended meaning when it helps us have a better relationship with God and others. And if it's just about facts and ideas, we probably haven't fully plumbed the depth of what God wants to speak to us. 1 Timothy 1.5 says it even more clearly in the NASB. It says the goal of our instruction is love. The reason why we're teaching you is uh, because we love you and we want you to grow in love in your relationship with God and others. Here's an interesting thought. 
all heresies, these are things that are, 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 are untrue and they do not line up with God's word. All heresies are ultimately unloving. They're not just wrong in some uh, intellectual or, or factual kind of way, although that, that, that can also be true. But ultimately, what makes a heresy heretical is that it somehow will betray a love relationship with God and others. Let's take the virgin birth, Jesus' virgin birth. Um, if, <clears throat> if we don't believe that, that's a, that's a heresy. We believe that, that, Jesus, that Mary was, in a sense, impregnated uh, by the Holy Spirit. Why is that important to believe? Well, if Jesus isn't fully God, then he can't die for the sins of humanity, and then we can't have a love relationship with him. The, the, the reason why we can't believe that is because it undermines the love and sacrifice of Jesus at, at, at its very essence. And so if you trace any heresy back to its source, it's going to undermine love and relationships. Fascinating, really. And uh, it's a great way to think about why something is a heresy. So, true understanding always leads us deeper into love. And the better you understand something, you better understand the intended meaning of a passage. It's going to lead you more deeply into love. So, since truth is a person, and I, I mean, we could talk about that all, you know, for this whole sermon, but uh, truth is a person. And the reason why this book is authoritative is because it reflects uh, the, the person of God uh, in Jesus Christ. So this is an extension of him being truth. God doesn't just have good ideas. Whatever he speaks is always true. Whatever we speak is always polluted. His word is always true. It's the most accurate and right and beautiful and loving thing to always say. He is truth. And he's the standard by which all other thoughts and emotions and ideas are judged. Because he is the truth. So he gives us his Bible to know him, to know his truth, what he says. So since truth is a person, knowledge is a relational experience. Oh, how I wish we would grab hold of this. To know something true, to know God, to know his word, we have to engage in a relationship with him because truth is relational. Uh, the, um, the, the word for, for knowing somebody in the uh, Old Testament is a euphemism for sexual intimacy. since that Adam knew Eve. So there is this idea of knowledge that is very personal and very intimate. If I say that I, I, I know, you know, Debbie, my wife, I don't just know facts about her. I know her heart, uh, what brings her joy, what makes her sad, what she longs for. Um, 
I can tell, I can, I'll walk in the door and I just, I see her face and I, I just know where she's at. I know where she's at. I know her. What God is inviting us into by giving us his Bible is he wants to be known to that degree. Where we just know his heart and what he thinks and what he feels and how he approaches different, different topics, you know. I just think that that's so beautiful that God would want to be known that way. Much more than a list of propositions, a list of facts, although those facts exist, exist, there's just something deeper going on that I'm really longing for us to grab hold of in this series, that discovering truth is a relational experience. This explains why two-thirds of the Bible is story. Like Sometimes I think, why doesn't God just, <clears throat> you know, come up with, you know, Ten Commandments, a few facts about who he is, and we're done. Like, why two-thirds of the Bible are stories? And most of those stories aren't even well explained. Like, we don't know whether it was a good story or a bad story, whether the people did a good thing or a bad thing, or whether they truly understood God or they were betraying his character. I mean, it's just like, really? Like, two-thirds isn't, uh, and then, you know, the, and then others is, is, is Proverbs and poetry. I mean, even that isn't clear. Like, the, the bits of the Bible that are left that are really clear is super small. So what's, you know, what's going on here? Is God just being vague or, or did he think that a few pages was too small and so he had to fill it out a little bit to make us feel like there's something substantial in our hands? Like, what's going on here? Well, what is he doing through all of these stories? He's revealing himself. The best way to know God is if he tells us stories. One of the, uh, my favorite ways of describing this is, and I hope that this doesn't seem um, dishonoring of God's word. I actually think it makes it more honoring. But uh, I think the Bible is like your grandmother's photo album. Now, I don't know if you've ever sat down with your grandmother, whether she's still alive or whether you ever knew her. Or, <clears throat> or, you know, what do, what do grandmothers want to do? They, they either have a photo album and I mean, not so much anymore. I know things are um, <clears throat> on our on our devices, but um, you know, they, they have a photo album, or they have a a, a wall of, of family photos. But what are they doing? What do they do? They they you know, I can just picture my my uh, my mother back then. It was slides, and you you watch them on a on a wall and. And what they would do, what my mom would do and dad would do, is they would tell us stories of these people that we've never met. They would say, oh, this is your Uncle Frank. And, uh, and this is, you know, you know, I remember the time when we, <clears throat> when we were out on the farm and we, one of the cows got lost. And, and, and Frank and I went and, you know, and, and I'm, you know if, you, if you don't care you'd go, I don't care about Uncle Frank. I've never met him. I don't know him. He might be, you know, 
your brother, but he's, I don't know him. Like, why are you telling me these stories? Have you ever thought that? Well, do you know why they're telling you those stories? It's because in the story, you get to know them. They're really telling you about themselves. And, a st and the best way for them to talk about themselves is to talk about the people that they love, what they did together. And in those stories, you find out what they value, uh, how they love, how they engage with others. And you get a dimension of revelation that's much more profound than just a list of, I, a list of facts and, uh, and ideas. It's Grandma's photo album. And we will be bored unless we realize what's going on. You know, in our home, they, <clears throat> there's a, Debbie is a much better storyteller than I am. And we'll get to that in a minute. But <clears throat> um, my kids, I, I, I don't like telling stories just because I, I feel self-conscious and I just don't think my life is very interesting. <clears throat> but I'll, I'll watch my kids lean in when I tell a story about me growing up. Because in that story, they get to know me better and they would like to do that, which is overwhelming for me. And it feels vulnerable to me. <clears throat> I don't know whether they'll just think it's a stupid story or whether they'll actually lean in um, in intimacy. But this is what's going on in the Bible. There's a, uh, <clears throat> there's a quote that says, knowledge in the Old Testament connotes not so much knowledge about in the sense of an objective mental apprehension. Uh, knowledge in the Old Testament is not knowing the facts about something. Rather, a personal relationship is implied. Isn't that powerful? To know God implies that we have a personal relationship with him. And so he's perfectly, perfectly written the Bible to help us have a personal relationship with him. And it's why two-thirds is story, because it's the best way to build a relationship with God and to know him for who he really is. Another quote says, knowledge involves both will and emotion. It's not just our mind. It's also our will, our desire to know God, our emotions. We bring our whole self into this relationship with God. And we don't read the Bible intellectually, although we do do that, but we read it in a much wider way of discovering the person of God. <clears throat> So in this way, knowing God includes but surpasses intellectual knowledge. Look at Ephesians 3.19 says, we, he's, he's praying that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Like, what does that even mean? That we would know a love that's beyond knowing. <clears throat> it's beautiful. Well, uh, Isaiah 6.10 describes what this means. It's a knowledge of the heart. It says, uh, to understand with their hearts. I mean, I think, how do we even know how to do this? How do we understand with our hearts? I tell you, the moment we know somebody, not just with our minds, but with our hearts, it's a radical experience that I'm afraid most people have never experienced with a human being, let alone with God. We just have functional relationships. And God wants to move us beyond that 
into intimacy, true revelation. So the Bible then is like a painting, not a photograph. Uh, take a look there, it'll be up on the screen. You'll see two pictures. One is a photograph taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. So this is an accurate picture of the universe. Then look at uh, Van Gogh's Starry Night. Ask yourself, which is more accurate? Well, the, the photograph, in a sense, is more accurate, but in a sense, it's not. Because all it can do is present a fact. There's no emotion or feeling or engagement in that. I mean, we can feel wonder, I understand that. But what Van Gogh's doing is he's looking at that sky and he's injecting that sky with emotion. He's interacting with the sky and he's, in, he's inviting us to share in his experience of the universe. This is what the Bible is like. If you read the Bible as a photograph, you'll be disappointed because it's never clear enough. But if you read the Bible as a, as a painting, it's beautifully painted doing exactly what we need it to do, reveal the heart and nature and beauty of the living God. There's an alternate reading. If you look at 1 Corinthians 8, 3 in the NIV Bible, there's a, there's a little note. And the alternate reading is this, whoever loves truly knows. You can't know God unless you love him. And the way that you love him is to know him. And so as we move in love and knowledge, <clears throat> we get greater and greater revelation that changes our lives. So that's the third level of listening, is to listen with a loving heart, to truly want to know. There's one final form of listening that we want to look at today, and it's trust, to be trusting. To truly love God, we need to have a trust relationship with Him. That trust is expressed in believing that He is willing and able to speak clearly, that the words of Scripture are what God intended to say. Uh, look, we can't have a, a, a truly loving relationship with God or others unless we trust them. I know that we love some people but don't fully trust them. And so this takes that love and goes to the next level <clears throat> and builds that love on trust. And when it comes to God's Word, where trust begins is trusting that God is willing and able to speak clearly to us that this didn't get polluted over time, it's not doesn't have some political agenda, that this is exactly what God wanted to say to us. He's speaking clearly. He's not speaking vaguely. Nothing got polluted. Nothing's mistranslated in the sense that there's some sinister plot going on. Uh, Proverbs 35 says a very powerful thing. Every word of God is flawless. Wow. Every word of God is flawless. Takes trust to believe that, doesn't it? Could he really mean what he's saying? You know, I'll often read parts of the Bible, and my first reading is, I mistrust it. And there's been some passages of Scripture that took me, and I'm not exaggerating, decades to understand. And I'm not even sure that I still understand it now, but at least I can see love in it. And some, I still don't see. I still don't really get it. 
that as I approach God's word with trust and let my suspicion go down, it creates an opportunity to hear God more clearly. But if I approach the God, uh, the, God's word in suspicion and have a closed heart, I can't hear him. My suspicion and mistrust actually plug my ears. So, <clears throat> this is spoken negatively, but we could say it positively, positively as well. In Hebrews 4, 2, it says, the, the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So, the only way to properly hear God's word is with a heart of love and a heart of faith, a heart of trust. And as you choose to trust, you will find your trust being more and more supported It'll make more and more sense why you do trust. But if you come with suspicion, you will always find more and more reasons to become more suspicious. It's what trust is like. Trust leads to more trust. Suspicion leads to more suspicion. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, be critical in a noble sense of the word, but that's different. Being honest or having questions, that's really humility. Mistrust is saying, I, I don't trust your motive or your ability to speak. And that's never helpful. So why is God trustworthy? Why do we trust him? Why do we trust his word? Now, this is going to be a little bit tricky, but we're going to spend a few minutes on it and then we'll conclude. But I really wanted to share this with you because uh, when I uh, learned this, it really helped me understand how to read the Bible. And uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.3 3 is, is a way to kind of understand this. We'll read the verse and then explain it. You are a letter from Christ. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. You are a letter from Christ. You, the, the, the people, are a letter. Weird. The result of our ministry. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. There's a way to write truth <clears throat> that is more trustworthy than writing it on paper or stone. It's writing it on human hearts. That's a more trustworthy form of delivering a message to write on a heart than to write on a piece of paper. This is a, I, I, I put a whole bunch of other verses to support this because this is such a, a strange thought to the modern mind. We think that if we want to be clear, we should write it down. Or if we want to understand somebody, they should put it in writing. From a biblical point of view, the opposite is true. The best way to communicate is person to person. Uh, this is what somebody who lived during that time said, and it just kind of sheds light on what we read in, in 2 Corinthians. It says, I do not believe that the things out of books are as beneficial to me as from a living and enduring voice. Isn't that incredible? I will learn more by sitting with somebody than I will by reading their book. I just think this is outstanding. So the reason why we trust the Bible, empirical facts are important. We need to know that it doesn't contradict history and that the words that we have are the words that were originally written. And so there's some things that are kind of empirical evidence that the Bible is trustworthy. But, and here's what I really want you to hear, trustworthiness is a personal experience. 
It's not just the lining up of facts. Of course, the facts need to line up or you can't trust them at all. But trust goes beyond the facts to a, I trust that person. I trust their hearts. I trust their motives. God's word, now listen to how God's word began. God's word began as a spoken word, not the poetry spoken word, but God's word began as, as spoken before it was written, before it was agreed that it was, and this is the fancy word, canon, that it was authoritative. So here's the sequence. God spoke to prophets, to the writers of the Bible. He spoke to people. Then it was written down. And then it was deemed, actually over time, to become the authoritative word of God. But where it began was as a spoken word. Why is this important? Because <clears throat> spoken words are most relational. Here's the idea. We must know who before we know what. We must know who said it before we can believe what's being said. Who matters more than what when it comes to trust? Uh, Kevin York is um, one of the prime, one of the main leaders in every nation. Just an amazing man. He's come to our church a number of times over the years. Incredibly godly man. He tells the story. He told it again. I just heard it a few weeks ago. Um, he was telling the story of the first time he went to Africa, and there was a there was a difficulty going on happening there. And so what, um, what he wanted to do was kind of go in, help them solve the problem, and kind of, you know, go back home again. And so he goes to sit with the leaders in the church, and uh, they say, well, what we'd like to do is we want to take you out to, uh, you know, to see a, a game farm, you know, to see rhinoceroses and giraffes. And, he's like, Why not? and we'd like to take you out for dinner and... We'd like to, go for a, like to go for a walk with you. and We'd like to just spend some time with you. And, and he's, he's thinking, like, first of all, you know, I'm busy, and I've only got a few days here. And then after a number of days of this, um, the leader says, you know why we did this? And he says, I have no idea why you did this. Because we're going to be talking about some really important things. And if we don't know you and we don't know your heart, will be unable to have a trust-filled, vulnerable conversation with you. So we just needed a chance to get to know you. And that forever changed uh, Pastor Kevin's understanding of what knowledge is, what, what, what it means to trust. And I think in the West, we're horrible at this. We think that clarity of facts help us build trust. It's maybe a beginning, but it's certainly not the end. What makes God's word trustworthy is that God relationally delivered his heart and mind to some people. And then they sought to communicate that in written form eventually. So <clears throat> I'd like you to think of something. Uh, why did Jesus not write anything down? Like, wouldn't this be, like, super helpful? Jesus, I know you're a busy guy. Just take a, just take a day. Write down everything that you think is super important. We're going to, uh, we're going to 
we'll, we'll, we'll put it in a protective box. We'll make sure that there's guards around it so that nobody can pollute it. And it'll just be your truth. Wouldn't that just save like tons of difficulty? And it's not so complicated. And what is he really trying to say? And, and just you take a pen, write some stuff down. Instead, he, instead of writing something down, he speaks and lives with some disciples. Get this. It was more reliable for Jesus not to write something down in order for us to understand his truth. It's more reliable because a written word can be misunderstood. But those who have walked with Jesus knew his heart. And they then transmitted their knowledge of Jesus to others who transmitted them to others. And it's why we're Christians today from heart to heart. The, uh, the Bible was never meant to replace personal conversation. It was only meant to provide clarity and safety in those conversations. Never meant to be a replacement. This is a radical thought. He wrote his words, Jesus wrote his words on human hearts. And this is the most uh, reliable form of communication. We listen heart to heart, and then we communicate heart to heart. And this is the best way to get revelation and knowledge of who God is. And as we read the Bible this way, it changes us in the most profound of ways. What is also true in this oral communication is that the community actually provided a filter to make sure that things were being properly communicated, um, that the heart of the matter was truly being communicated. Let me just give a story about this. And I, I, I know I'm going on, but please just stay, stay focused because this is important stuff. My wife is an amazing storyteller. She just... Uh, uh, what's, what's most fun for me is we have somebody new that comes to visit us and we're with all the kids. And then the kids will say, mom, tell that story. And then you watch. It's just so fun because David goes, ah, and she goes, no, no, tell the story. And so she tells the story and she always is very animated and she just makes any story a lot of fun. <clears throat> and that's fun in itself. But then I watch the kids faces while she tells the story <clears throat> and there's a huge smile on their face and uh and they go don't forget to say this part and, and you know and they're because they know the story and so you know sometimes she'll forget to say something and then they say well don't you know tell that part or or she'll tell it slightly differently and they go well that was different than the last time you told ah i just forgot to say it before but this is also what was going on and the in the community is working with the author in, in communicating this, this beautiful story. And so as things were passed down in the Old Testament, um, it was not being polluted, it was being refined in the telling. 
this is just such a foreign way for us to think about truth and trustworthiness. It's hard for us to grab hold of, but it is in fact more reliable. Uh, the one story that Debbie, Debbie tells is um, only happened once, but I had some nightmare or something. And in the middle of the night, I, I, I whipped the, the pillow out from, you know, under Debbie. And I look at her with no, you know, how when somebody's sleepwalking, there's no real look in their eye. And I'm holding the pillow above her head like this. And, uh, and then what, every, what all the kids say, so what, and what she always says is, Greg, Greg, you're sleeping. And so all the kids say, you know, that's the, the so then they go, Greg, Greg, like they use that as a thing to say to me when they want, you know, to get my attention because they're referring back to that story. And then Debbie says, and my heart was going ka-chung, ka-chung, ka-chung. And this is now just a thing, a funny thing in our house that we go ka-chung, like, the story takes on a life in the community and the community becomes the bearer of that story. My friends, you and I are that community. And as we soak in God's word, listen with our hearts, talk about it together. We become a community that bears the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ together, refining that in our hearts, being together in response to hearing from God through his word. This is powerful. And it verifies the story as it's told from heart to heart. The mistrust that causes us to not hear or to mishear is only cured by coming closer to God. Do you have a problem understanding the Bible? Do you, do you feel like you have misquoted it? Draw closer. Draw closer to God, draw closer to his community, and revelation and life will come. I guarantee it. God whispers to us not to be secretive, but actually so that we would lean in and hear him more clearly, not less clearly. He's not being vague. He wants us to, to lean in, to listen in with a heart of trust. And as we do, we understand him in the most profound of ways. So let's conclude. Would you like God to write his words on your heart? Would you like that? Is there no greater privilege in life than to have the very word of God written on our hearts? Would you like that? Then uh, want to listen. Want to listen. Don't be unimpressed. Don't just come to the Bible with a self-serving agenda. Come with a loving, trusting heart. Spend time in his stories. Spend time with the community talking about the stories. You know, ka-chung, ka-chung, great, great. Come, come into the community and watch God's word come alive simply because you've wanted to listen. Simply because you've wanted to listen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you that your Bible isn't tricky. All that you ask us to do is have a listening heart. So would you uh, stir in us the desire to listen so that your word 
would not only instruct our minds, although we desperately want that, but your word would come and transform our hearts. Help us to learn to approach your word in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, uh, I am eager to hear how you'll be processing these things uh, in your D groups this week. God bless you.